Well, good morning, church. We are almost to that point in time when I'm going to be wishing you a Merry Christmas. I guess we can always do it ahead of time, but maybe we'll just wait till next Sunday, the day before, right? Uh, Christmas is such, you know, always talk about being that wonderful time of year, um, filled with so many holiday traditions. Uh, along with that comes the emotions and expectations of, of what is coming and what should be happening. Uh, there's so much that takes place. And when I was thinking about that, I, I was thinking about the expectations, right? We, we all have expectations. If, if you're going to go to see a comedian, you expect to laugh out loud at his jokes, right? If you go to a concert, you expect the music to inspire you and to in, encourage you and, and to move you. And at the same time, we, we get to Christmas and we have expectations too. We have expectations that this is going to be a happy time in my life, Right? But we know this to be true of happiness is that happiness depends on circumstances. So, so my happiness this Christmas might be based on whether or not we're going to get snow, which right now, eh, I better not be based my happiness on that, right? Or maybe the presents I'm going to get or the people I'm going to see or all the holiday food and, and praying that I don't eat too much of the certain foods, right? All these things we experience have to play within our happiness. Because that's what happiness, happiness is based around circumstances that take place. And we hope that they're favorable. That's why we expect happiness. But here's the thing, when it comes to Christmas, our emotions are amplified. So what do you, maybe you're happy about something now, but when it comes to Christmas, you expect even more, right? So just as we expect happiness, here's the thing, the emotions that we have of sorrow and sadness, also get amplified at Christmas time. You may be burdened with a depressive disorder of some sort. You may be feeling isolated, alone. You may be experiencing the grief of losing a loved one. You may have something else that's come into your life recently that has caused you to be sad. And if here's the thing, if you enjoy watching movies or reading books that Focus around the Christmas time. Typically, the plot of one of the main characters in their life, it's like something bad happened at Christmas in their past, and they just want to get through the holidays. They don't want to deal with it. Usually, that's one of the storylines we hear about, right? They no longer look forward to Christmas. They just they want to avoid the, the holiday of Christmas and just get on to the next one. So when I'm sitting there thinking about Christmas, and all the expectations we have, especially of happiness. We sit down at the table of Christmas and we, we want to be served up a plate of happiness. And instead we get a dish of distress or a glass of gloominess or a bowl of sadness. And you wonder, is Christmas really worth it? Or is my faith really there? I believe the emotions that we've talked about in the last two weeks and this week, we've talked about the emotions of disappointment and stress. If you haven't picked on it today, it's sadness, it's sorrow. I believe our emotions, as innocent as they may be and as real as they are, if left unchecked, can really uproot our faith. And we can't leave them go unchecked. I, I believe, you know, we go to God's Word and we look for help to deal with our emotions. We, we seek that help saying, it's here, right, God? I, hey, God, can you just replace my disappointment with some kind of hope? Can, can you replace my stress 
with peace? Can you replace my sorrow, my sadness with joy? Can, can you just do that, God? And, and we, that's our hopes, right? That's our prayers. And we come to church looking for that encouraging word. And we, we say, hey, let's just turn that frown upside down. And, and we come up with whatever catchphrase we can use to say, you know, hey, hang in there. And we have all those things. But honestly, with sorrow, it's like we don't even have the energy to try to seek an answer. Because we're sad. Oh, this is going to be a great sermon, isn't it? It's like, well, it's even gloomy outside. If it was snowing, at least we'd have a little bit of hope here. Grab your Bibles, turn to Psalm 88. Turn to Psalm 88. I promise you this message will take a turn for the positive. Just bear with me. We've got to get through some of this where we're at in life. Psalm 88. In Psalm 88, this psalm is written by a man by the name of Haman. A lot of the psalms are written by David, as we know. But Haman was a Levite. He served under David. He worked in the, the temple. He was a worship leader. There are 14 psalms that are attributed to men like Haman. And although the psalms are listed 1 through 150, they're not all written in chronological order. They're, they're sort of jumbled all over the place through history. Matter of fact, when you get to Psalm 144 and Psalm 145, the next psalm chronologically that takes place is Psalm 88, then Psalm 89, then Psalm 50. It's just the way it is. It's, well, how did this fall out in time? But when I was looking at that, I thought, well, okay, this is, this is the way it worked chronologically. What was Psalm 144 like? It was full of praise. It was full of excitement. Rejoice in God's love. Psalm 145, rejoice and worship God. Oh, that's great. Then we get to Psalm 88. A depressive psalm we'll get to in a second here. Then we get to Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is all about writing about God's unfailing love. Another upbeat psalm. Then Psalm 50. Asaph tells of God's desiring sincere thanks, trust, and praise. So it's like praise, praise, sorrow. Praise, praise. It's like a bad burger. Okay? What I mean by that is you get the sandwich, and you got your top bun and bottom bun, and they're just soft and perfect as can be. And the bottom bun maybe has a layer of some kind of sauce, maybe sauteed mushrooms and some sauteed onions on there. And on the top, you got the, the lettuce and tomato and some, maybe some other, whatever you like in there, okay? And then you got the meat in the middle, and you expect the meat to be awesome. But then you take a bite of that sandwich, and something in there just wasn't right. Maybe it wasn't, maybe you like yours well done and it was raw. I don't know. But it's not what you expected. Now, not every sandwich is like that, but this one is. Maybe that's a bad illustration. But when I look at this psalm, it's like it's not what I expected. See, in psalms, often the writers, they would complain about the horrible circumstances in life. And, oh, this is going on. And, and God, where are you at? And, but then they're lamenting with, with this misery. But then it takes a turn. Towards the end of the psalm, there's always comes in some kind of upward movement, this, this state of resolution. It's this, this like, and here's the moral story that we need to get. And, and hey, God, it ends with, with a praise in there. And it's like, yeah, that's the way the psalms go. But not Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is written differently. It, it begins with God, but it ends with, darkness is my closest friend. And that's the end of the psalm. It's like, that, that's it? Derek Kidner writes this. He goes, this is the saddest prayer of all psalms written. James Boyce, another writer, another theologian said this. It's good that we have a psalm like this, but it's good that we have only one. I agree. But here's the thing about Psalm 88. 
it reminds us of what life is really like. It reminds us that life is filled with trouble, even to the point of despair, even for mature believers. Even if you think you're the strongest Christian, you still have moments like Psalm 88, and it's like, how do I deal with this? Sometimes as a Christian, we always sit there and think, well, things always work out in the end. We quote that verse from Romans, you know, it's like, there's, you know, God's got this great plan. But, you know, listen, God does have purpose for every one of us. God does have an amazing plan that we've, we can't see the full details. And I know this, things that I have questions about maybe will never be answered in my lifetime, but I know in eternity they will be. I know there'll be someday when I'll be standing before God and I'll say, hey God, why did that have to happen? And he'll show me how it all unfolded in his perfect plan. I can't see it, he can. But in Psalm 88, you expect like, okay, here's the lament, here's the misery, here's the sadness, and here's why this is written, and it's not there. And it's sort of disappointing. So, being the pastor that I am, it's like, well, let's check it out, right? Hmm, bear with me, please. So in Psalm 88, let's read verse 1. Begins with a positive start. Here it comes. O Lord, God of my salvation. Isn't that a great start? God, you're the God of my salvation. Okay, let me, let me share with you. That's it. That's the highlight of this, of this whole psalm. From here, it goes downhill. Let me, let's read on. It goes on to say, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They've, they've left me among the dead. I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. You've thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down with wave after wave. You've engulfed me. So as you're reading this, you're catching a picture of it. It's dark. There's trouble. There's no strength. He's alone, forgotten. He's feeling crushed, judged by God. You get the mood of this, this psalm right now? Let's read on. Verse 8. You've driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I'm in a trap with no way to escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help. Oh Lord, I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? Oh Lord, I cry out to you. And I will keep on pleading day by day. Oh Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? Have you ever felt this way? I mean, this, this is Haman writing. But are you sitting there saying, yeah, I've felt that way before. Have you, have you ever prayed prayers to God? Just pray and pray, lifting up your prayers to God and feel like they just land flat back on your head. It's like they just bounced off him and came back down. Do you ever, you ever feel that way with some of your prayers? I mean, this is how he's feeling. 
And when it happens, it's no wonder we, we feel rejected or we question God or it's like, I must be spiritually dead, as the writer put it, puts it. It's here that we expect, okay, because like any good psalm, it's here where we expect, you know what, the psalm's going to take a turn. Here's going to get better, right? We expect something like, nevertheless, I will praise you, O Heavenly Father. Or maybe we expect something along the lines like, despite my weakness, I will put my trust in you. Or in my sorrow, I will seek you. Don't we expect that to be the very next verse? It's not. Read on, verse 15. I've been sick and close to death since my youth. It's like he looks to the past, right? He's looking to the present. He's looking to the future. He's trying to find something. He goes, I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They've engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. What a horrible way to end a psalm. Darkness is my closest friend. Again, we're expecting God's word to lift us up. You come here on Sunday to worship God, to find hope, to find encouragement, to walk out here with maybe a smile on your face like, man, I needed to hear that today. And what did you hear? Darkness is my closest friend. God bless you. Bye. Right? It's like, wow, that's just sad. The psalm ends with darkness. But wait. There is an answer. There is an upside to this. Haman didn't see it. Haman didn't know it. But years later, a prophet by the name of Isaiah would say, I've got an answer for you, Haman. If, if, if Isaiah could just reach back and say, Haman, hang in there. I want to tell you something. But for the rest of us, we get the good news. In the book of Isaiah, Chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, we hear this. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Haman needed to hear that. Darkness is my closest friend. Isaiah said, darkness is going to come to an end. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Isn't that what we needed to hear? I know it's dark. I I know you're sorrowful and sad and all these emotions are just piling you under and you're like, you're not seeing the way out. Darkness will end. A light is coming. A light is coming. A light will shine. That darkness and sorrow and sadness that leaves us isolated, that leaves us depressed during the holidays, and, and you are just, you're left feeling what? Useless, right? You, you're left feeling despair. You're hoping, man, I hope things change quickly, so I just get on to the next calendar event and be done with this holiday. And maybe during these moments, you've tried to find some help. I mean, all of us do. It's like, okay, I need to, I'm feeling a little depressed. I'm feeling a little down. I, what do I need to do? So we search for help, you know, maybe the scriptures, right? But then we start listening to other podcasts or maybe other pastors or talk show hosts or friends, counselors, pastors, whoever, 
seeking advice, and that's good. Maybe you've been told, hey, practice gratitude. When you're thankful, when you give thanks, that changes you from the inside out. Maybe you've been taught, hey, go out and serve. Go give presents to other people. Because when you're giving, when you're selfless, that will change your heart. You, you won't be so sad anymore. Maybe you're told, hey, be careful with the alcohol. It's a depressant. Hey, you need to eat right. Hey, get the exercise during the holidays. Maybe you, you just need more sleep. Hey, spend time with people who care. I mean, again, that's all good advice. I would offer up that advice. And I'm sure Haman, who wrote Psalm 8, would have given some practical counsel as well, but his was what? Darkness is my closest friend. I have no advice. So we look for advice from all over the place, right? But what we need more than all those great ideas and all that good advice, we need a permanent solution. Because I can go out and be selfless and do something for somebody else. I can show gratitude and thanks, but tomorrow I could still wake up feeling sad, right? I need something more permanent. By looking at Scripture, I discovered this, that in the end, this, you know what the solution to darkness is, right? You're looking at it. Light. Light is the solution to darkness. And Isaiah tells us the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. The answer is the light of the world. Turn in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Matthew says, you know what, I'm going to tell the story about the birth of Jesus. And he gives us the story of Jesus being born and the wise men traveling. Luke is like, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus too and how he was born. And he gives us even more details about the birth of Jesus with Mary and Joseph. And then John, John's like, I've got my story about the birth of Jesus. And he gives us John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And it's like, there's no baby here. There's no Mary and Joseph. There's no manger. There's, there's no donkeys or wise men. There's, this, is the, this is the Christmas story? Yes. Listen carefully as we read along. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. This is Jesus Christ. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. Nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. His life brought light to everyone. Verse 5 goes on to say this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself, he was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Verse 9, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Church, you see, God became flesh. He became Jesus. He entered this dark world. He is the light that cannot be extinguished. He is the light. And, and what did Jesus do in this dark world? He brought us hope. He brought us peace. He brought us joy and he brought us love. I, to fully share all that Jesus did, 
We don't have time to talk about it, to write about it. This is how John starts his book. Talking about Christ, who was God, who, who was the light of the world, who came into the world. He's like, let me tell you how he came. And then you know the very last verse of this book, how it ends? In John chapter 21, verse 35, this is how the book ends. John says this, Jesus did a lot of other things as well. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. He starts it with, this is God giving his son, right? And he ends it with, his son? There's so much to tell you, say about him. We couldn't write enough books. The world couldn't hold the books. That's how much there is about the light of this world. John said there's just too much to say. The Apostle Paul, though, he tried to sum it up in one verse. You can turn there if you want. I'll put the verse on the screen. It's 1 Timothy 3.16. In this one verse, Paul tries to sum up who Christ is. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. So, so in one verse... The apostle tries to sum up the life of Jesus in which John said, there's no way we can do this, right? But let's check this out. It starts off with what? Christ was revealed in the human body. By the way, that word Christ, in Greek, it's theos. I, when I preach, um, I usually preach out of the New Living Translation just because it's an easy read. It doesn't have a lot of these, all those, you know, whatever. And so it's like, it's an easy read. I study out of multiple translations, grew up with what? King James, NIV, there's all different kinds of translations. The New Living Translation says Christ was revealed. The Greek word is theos. Theos is God. So the New Living Translation actually has a poor translation here because if you'll read through other translations, it's always God was revealed. That's because that's what it was. God became flesh. He was revealed in a human body. God became visible in the flesh through Christ. Now, vindicated by the Spirit means basically to show evidence of righteousness. The Spirit of God reveals Jesus to be in the right position with God, to be righteous, to be perfect. He was seen by angels in heaven and on earth. And the angels witnessed the glory of Jesus before he ever came to earth, while he was still in heaven. They announced his coming to earth to the prophets, to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds. And then while on earth, many believed on him. And then after he died, he ascended into heaven. And that's all right there in one verse. One verse, the life of Jesus. Then I was, heard a song this past uh, few weeks ago that reminded me, it's like, well, you know, in this song, it's like all summed up into one song too. Just as we want to talk about the light of this world, who Jesus is, let's sum it up. The Apostle Paul tries in one verse. Well, Charles Wesley tries to do the same thing and hark the herald angels sing. I've asked Pastor Dave every week, you know, about three weeks ago, I said, hey, there's like four carols I'd love for us to sing on each Sunday in December. And this one is hark the herald angels sing. Because I knew it goes along with the sermon that I'd be preaching on. And in this song, Hark to Herald Angels Sing, it celebrates the life of Jesus summarized really just in, in one song. Just 
there's, there's more than two verses. Oftentimes what happens is uh, these, these hymns that are written, there's usually anywhere from five to seven verses. Somewhere throughout history, some of them just sort of get dropped out. And then sometimes in church, we're like, let's sing verses one, two, and five. Poor three and four. They never get sung, right? So there are some, some that just never get sung. In the second verse, we check this out. It says, Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come. Offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. It, this is just one verse, but with all the verses, you'll find the life of Jesus summarized. But when I look at this particular verse, I, I mean, here we go. It's this Haman. I'd love to go back to Haman and say, Haman, I know you feel like God's late, okay? You're, you're experiencing darkness, but he's never late. He's never late in time. I, I know in earthly standards and timelines, we all have these dark moments and we wonder, where, where are you at, God? You must be late. But in God's timing, there's always purpose. And it was perfect. Late in time, behold him come. That's how they were feeling, right? Mm. Offspring of the virgin's womb. God, veiled in flesh, right? Didn't we just read that in 1 Timothy 3, 16? God is here. Emmanuel, God with us. This song sums up a lot of the gospel. And, and, and here's the thing. It invites us to celebrate the good news. Hark, the herald angels sing. Do you know what a herald was? A herald was somebody who would come into a city before the king arrived. The herald would arrive. I'm announcing the king is coming. I repeat, the king is coming. And whatever else they would declare. But that's what the herald's job was. To prepare the city for the king's arrival. And then soon, within time, nobody knew exactly the amount of time, but within time, the king would arrive. Hark, the herald angels sing. The angels are declaring the king, Jesus, is coming. The light of the world is coming. And I get it because we are living in darkness. Don't you feel that at times? But there's light, a light that brings joy. I love the Christmas season. Why? Because during the month of December, it is one of the darkest months of the year. But Christmas has all these incredible Christmas lights. Whether you like Christmas lights or not, whether when you're first untangling them out of the attic and you are probably swearing underneath your breath, like, and you're trying to find that burned out ball because none of the others work and you're all frustrated, hang in there. In that dark moment, once you plug those in, it's light and it's beautiful. That's what I love about the season, right? A light that says, I want to show you that darkness doesn't have to stay here. Light ushers out darkness. In the light of Jesus Christ, he is the light, a light that fixes a broken relationship that we have with God. He is a bridge builder that connects us with God. Reconciling once what was broken between us and God, he fixes. And with that response to the light and darkness, what is the response to discovering hope and sorrow? A rejoicing. Joyful. All your nations rise. Join the triumph in the skies, right? It's like, listen, a light has come. 
I know you've been in the darkness. I know you're feeling sorrow and sadness. That is an emotion that all of us experience. None of us like it. And some of you right now in this church might be very sorrowful. You might be experiencing a lot of sad things. But there's a light that's come. And light extinguishes darkness. I love in the song, join the triumph in the skies. It's like, it's like, see the angels singing? I mean, they're just firing up. They're pumping it out. Darkness is coming to an end. Join the triumph, it sounds. And so with the angelic host proclaim, with the angels, come on, sing with them, right? My boys are too old now. They're all graduated. But there was a time when some of them were in choir back in middle school and high school. And so as a parent, you attend all the concerts, Right? I don't have to do that anymore. I mean, I, I'm, I don't do that anymore. Um, did I say have to? Anyway, so when we were at those concerts, at the high school, I remember this. I don't know if they do this anymore. Somebody can probably tell me after church. But it used to be when you're sitting there, and when they get to the last song, the choir director would step up on stage and say, at this time, we're going to sing the Hallelujah Chorus. If any of you sitting out here today would like to join us, please join us on stage. Come on up. Now, as I'm sitting out there, I'm sitting there going, well, I didn't go to this school, so I don't have to join them. So I would just sit there and just watch everybody else, all these alumni and other people that maybe didn't even go to that school, go up on stage. And, and then the, the stage is full of people now, not just the choir members from the middle school and high school, but now all these people joining in and singing a chorus of hallelujah. That's what I picture here. That's what I picture when Hark the Herald Angels sing. When we're talking about join the triumph of the skies, it's like an invitation. When we sing Hark to Herald Angels, sing like, come on, join the angels. They're singing about a light that has come that extinguishes darkness. And that's what the angels did. They, they were like, yes, let's sing. Come on, join in. And here's the thing. We don't have to ascend into the skies to do it. We can sing right where we're at. And you know what I love about this is that the angels came at the night. They didn't come in the day. They could have waited until it was broad daylight and not probably scared the, uh, the shepherds, right? But they came when it was dark. And they lit up the skies. And they said, ah, but the light of the world's coming. A Savior is born. Church, if I could, and I, and I wish I could, for those of you that are dealing right now with the emotion of sadness and sorrow, I wish I could just reach in and just pull that out. I can't. I can't. But God can. He can take your dark times and give you light. He gave us himself through his son, the light of the world. That light is what gives us internal and eternal hope. Sorrow is replaced with joy because our trust is in who God is not what is taking place around us. And I encourage you this Christmas, if you're experiencing this sorrow and that sadness, that emotion, that's okay. It's an emotion. You're allowed to have it. But know that the Savior of this world has come and has brought light. And he wants to extinguish that darkness. You know, I, I really appreciate about this church is that our church has really tried to share the light of the world. And this past Wednesday, many of you participated in what was called a spectacular Christmas night. Some of you bought gifts. Some of you, uh, little children, made the, uh, the name tags and the ornaments. The middle school, high school kids 
We're here to serve, to greet, to hand out presents. Some of you volunteered to sing in the lobby. Some of you volunteered to set up and tear down. Each and every one that took part basically said this. There's a group of people that sometimes are forgotten. And their holidays may not be as joyful as others. Let's show them the light of the world. Let's show them how to find joy during a time that could be somewhat gloomy. And so Wednesday night, I just want to say thank you for a beautiful night. Uh, church, again, we, I always encourage you to go be the church. And you are so faithful in, in loving God and loving others. So I want to thank you. Would you please stand? Very thankful for a church body that chooses to be the light of the world. Christ lives, and he lives in you. And he brings that light to dark times. So as you live your life this Christmas, shine for him. Shine for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. Thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I know that as we read Psalm 88 with Haman, and, and he was so honest in pouring out his feelings. Sometimes, Heavenly Father, I think we're afraid to be honest with you and others because we feel like we're weak Christians. But Lord, in our life, we need to be honest with you and, and share those moments of, of, of darkness and sadness. But then, Lord, help us to remember the truth that light extinguishes darkness. That you are the light of the world. You came into this world to save us from our sins. And when we surrender and we pray and ask for forgiveness, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Thank you for that truth. Thank you for then taking the darkness that's in us and replacing it with your light. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that then we are encouraged and empowered to go out and be a light into this world. So, Heavenly Father, during this season, as we face the raw emotions of what goes on, help us, Lord, to live a life of hope and peace and joy. In thy name we pray. Amen.